We're going to be in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Lord, we're just so thankful, God, for your word. It really is a lamp into our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. In a dark world, in a confusing time, Lord, we have your word to stand on, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, Lord, and, and to show us what's true and what's not. And, and this morning, as we, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray it would remind us, that it would guide us, that it would challenge us. Uh, but uh, Lord, we, we, we want to hear your voice today, most of all, uh, because you know what's going on in our life, Lord, what's churning in our hearts and in our minds and, and the week we've had, Lord. So we just pray that our hearts would be settled before you, God, and that we would hear your voice today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. The book of 1 Samuel, it opens up with a gifted child. Hannah has this son, Samuel, who God speaks to and God speaks through. And it ends with a rebellious king that God refuses to speak to and quits speaking to because Saul doesn't want to hear God's voice. And we learn lessons. The Bible says, Paul says we should be reading our Bibles, uh, right? In, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says that the things that were written before are there for our learning and admonition, that through the comfort and hope of the script, through the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope, right? So we should be in the word of God. Uh, you know, if you're anything like me, you learn the hard way, you have to go through it, and some of us go through it, but I appreciate that God has given us his word that we can read, that we can have the warnings for our life, for the future, things to avoid, things we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And so Paul says, read your Bibles, right? You should be in the Word of God because these things were written for our learning. And I think one of the biggest things we learn here as we close the book of Samuel is that God gives us choice. Every day we have choice. Every day you have choice. Every day we're choosing what to do, how to live our lives, if we're going to obey God or not obey God. And God established that right at the very beginning. You open up the Bible. I remember when I first got saved, I opened the Bible. I don't know where to read. And I start reading Genesis, right? And, and, you know, and it was great. You know, the book of beginnings, it's the beginning of everything. You get a lot of truth established in the book of Genesis. And it keeps you uh, captivated, too. You hear about families and people. But right at the very beginning, God creates everything. And he creates man, Adam, and Eve. And in the garden, in the midst of the garden, there's the tree of life. And it says, but there's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's right there in the middle of the garden. And God warned, listen, if you eat that tree, you'll surely die. Dying, you'll die. You'll be separated from me, and sin will enter the world. Dying, you'll die. You'll be separated from me, and eternally, there needs to be restoration, right? And, and God established that very early on. And what, it, what does Eve do? She's tricked. We now know the story. Uh, and, and she's hanging around that tree, and she eats of the fruit of that tree, exactly what God said don't do. And I think that's one of the lessons here as we close the book of Samuel is, is our life is full of choices. What are we choosing every day? What are you choosing to do? How are you choosing to live your life? 
Saul was only a king. Saul was on the throne because Israel had a choice. They went to Samuel and said, listen, we want a king. Give us a king. And Samuel was like, what? What are you, why? God is your king. He's your provider, your protector. That's the design. And they're like, no, give us a king. And so Samuel went to the Lord and said, hey, they want a king. What do I do? And God says, warn them. Warn them what's going to happen if they want a king. That guy is going to take your land, your sons and daughters. He's going to put them, you know, they're going to work in your, they're going to take your best fields, their, your best stuff. We got something going on here. Uh, and, and that's what the king's going to do. He's going to take and take and take. He's going to take a tenth of all your stuff. He's going to take your sons and your daughters. He's going to make them soldiers. They're going to build weapons. He's going to make them... Uh, your daughter's confectionaries. He's going to bake. They're going to bake for you. They're going to do all this stuff. And, but warn them, but it's still their choice. I'm going to give them the power to choose. And they choose Saul, you know, and, and he was everything. He was everything. He, the guy is the tallest guy in Israel, almost seven feet tall. He's the most handsome guy in Israel, right? And that's who their king is. They got the king they were looking for, but he doesn't measure up. He begins making bad choices. And, and just like Saul, just like Saul, I think God gives us those aha moments in our life where we realize, wow, that was a mistake. I shouldn't be going down that road. And, and, and for Saul, there was a bunch, you know, moments, defining moments in his life where he was like, Man, I shouldn't do that. And one of, those, one of those moments, it was when he was waiting. The Philistines were, were attacking. He wasn't sure what to do. And he was supposed to wait in Gilgal for seven days for Samuel. Just wait there, and I'll tell you what to do. And at the six-and-a-half-day mark, he's like, no, nah, I'm going to have to do what I'm waiting for Samuel to do. I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to make the sacrifice and he does. He does do that. And as soon as he does, Samuel shows up. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you performing the office of the priest? You're a king. You shouldn't do that. And right away, he establishes what he's going to do. It's excuses and blame shifting. Excuses and blame shifting. Man, the people were leaving. You weren't here on time. I didn't know what to do. I had to do this. And that would define Saul's life. Excuses and blame shifting. He would never own mistakes he made. And, and Samuel would tell him, man, the Lord would have done this for you if you would have obeyed. God wants to do so much in your life, in my life, if we're willing to obey and listen to his word. He says, Sam, Saul, Saul, God would have established your kingdom, but because of your rebellion, because of your disobedience, it's being torn from you giving it to someone else. When he went to war against the Amalekites, God says, utterly destroy him. And he doesn't do that. Another aha moment for, for Samuel and Saul, for Saul, and Samuel shows up and says, listen, God's tearing the kingdom from you. That hasn't changed. It was an opportunity to obey, but you didn't. But I think one of the biggest moments, and it's really the epitaph, 
of Saul's life is when Saul is chasing David, and he's chasing David, and he's got this entourage of 3,000 men. David has a few hundred men, and they're hiding in the cave from Saul, and Saul has to use the bathroom just by coincidence, and he heads into this cave in Engedi. Of all the multitude of caves that are there, he goes to this cave all by himself, and David is in that cave with his men, and Saul's all by himself, and David cuts off his robe, doesn't harm him. And he, Saul leaves the cave, and David calls out to him, Saul. And, and, and Saul repents and says to David, listen, I've erred exceedingly, and I played the fool. That was the, that was, that's the culmination of this guy's life. I've, I've erred exceedingly my whole life, and now I've just played the fool. David, you're a better man than me. But your life is full of choices. And these moments that God gives you and I to change, to, to change direction, perspective, to, to look at life differently and say, God, I want to do it your way. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I know it's wrong. Saul continues to disobey. He promises David he wouldn't chase him anymore. And what happens? He chases him again chases him again, and David goes down in the camp in the wilderness of Ziph and takes his spear and his bottle of water, and again, Saul has another moment, but it doesn't change him. He's, he's hardened. He's going to do what he's going to do. And I think God allows those moments. Maybe you've had them in your own life, or God has warned you, don't go down, down that road. Don't go that direction. Watch out where you're going. And you choose to go anyways. And right there, the, the, you, you start reaping what you've sowed. And your life is taking a hard turn. Something bad happens. And you realize, oh man, Lord, you warned me. I should have listened. I should have listened. And God does that. This is, this is over 20 years God has been doing that with Saul. But amazing, just if you're born again here today, what a great start you have. Because God, it says, the Bible says that he has deposited his Holy Spirit in you. And he's given you his word. He's given you power to act on his word, to obey his word. But you still get to choose. Right? You have a great start. Saul had a great start right away. He says, God tells Saul as he enters and, and is anointed as king, Samuel tells him, listen, God is going to make you another man. You're going to prophesy. You're going to speak the word of God. You're going to prophesy. You're going to have valiant men around you. God is going to surround you with valiant men whose hearts God has changed. What a great start this guy had in his life. What a great beginning this guy had. The Spirit will come upon him. He'll become brave as Jabesh Gilead is getting raided and, and threatened by the Amorites. And they said, listen, you surrender. We'll take your surrender. We just want to pluck out your right eye. That's it. We'll take, you know, you'll be our servants, but we, we also want your right eye. And David, or Saul rallies the troops, gets all these men and, and routs 
the Amorites. Kills him. What a great start. What a brave person. Then he has Jonathan, this amazing young man, as a son. Who has this this calling on his life, this, this anointing on his life. Saul had a lot. But you know, our walk, your walk, my walk, isn't about how we begin. That's part of it. It's always how you finish. Your life is always how you finish, right? Your walk, your, your, your walk with Jesus Christ, with the Lord, isn't a hundred-yard dash where you stand on the track. I didn't do track and field, but I saw the guys running, you know. They stood there, and they could see the finish line. There it is, 100 yards. I just got to beat this guy right next to me. These four guys or five guys, four girls, five girls, whatever it is. And I see the finish line. But then I also knew people who were on, that, were, that were on the cross-country team. Well, those guys started, and they ran through the woods, and they ran. I'm like, what? And they didn't see the finish line the whole way. And they were running blind sometimes through the woods and here and there. Right? But they knew they were heading in a direction. They wanted to cross the finish line. That's your walk. That's my walk. You don't see the finish line. You don't know when, when you're going to hit it, but you're aiming. It's not about how you start. That's only part of it. It's with the aim to finish and finish well. Paul said this to Timothy, because Paul was a guy who started out very bad, right? Paul's name was Saul, named after, after the first king of Israel, Saul, uh, King Saul. And he was Saul of Tarsus. And what a bad start he had. He was killing Christians, persecuting the church. And the Lord met him, and he was saved. Acts chapter 9. Paul ran his race for years, decades. And he tells, he tells Timothy this. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, maybe you did. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul tells, encourages his son in the faith. He says, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Those are the things Paul had to do. do. He had to be watchful. He had to endure afflictions afflictions, pain, trouble in this life. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Keep in mind what God has called your life to be. What's your life called to? Husbands, dads, wives, moms. What's your calling? Fulfill your ministry, he says. And then Paul could say, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. That's what your walk is. That's what this race is. You're fighting. It's a battle. It's not always easy. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Paul said, I'm finishing. I'm not just starting this race, I'm finishing it. And that's a choice for you and I. Are we going to finish it? How are we running this race? The Bible has a lot to say about that. I would say, how did Paul run his race? 
In Acts chapter 20, he says this. He tells the Ephesian elders, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Paul is heading to Jerusalem to share Jesus Christ. He says, knowing, and I know not the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul's, Paul's saying, everywhere I go, I'm meeting other Christians, believers, and they're like, hey, God has a word for you. I want to tell you, I want to warn you, if you head there, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be hard, and we know it is for Paul. Chains, he's going to be locked up, and he's going to get beat. A lot of bad things happen to Paul. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city. But then Paul says this, I think it's the key. To your, to your life, to finish your course, my life. He says, none of these things move me. Chains, that doesn't bother me. Afflictions, that's not going to move me. Pain, suffering, hurt, because that's coming. Whether you're a Christian or not, that stuff's coming. We're going to go through things in this life. He says, none of these things move, move me. Why? Because I don't count my life dear to myself so that I can finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I'm going to finish my course. It's going to be hard. I'm going to go through things. But I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not number one on the totem pole as I walk through this world. Unfortunately, we are, right? We wake up in the morning. We're the first person we think of. We're the first person we look at in the mirror. We're the fir- first person we, try, we tell our spouse, hey, I need this today. Can you do this for me? Can you? Right? We're, we're the first person, unfortunately, many times that we think about. And Paul says, no, that's not me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I want to finish my course with joy. He's first. I want to obey him. I want to listen to what God has for my life. You want joy or missing joy? Maybe you're not obedient to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord in your life. Grumpy. Things get hard. Paul says, I can finish my course in all the hardness with joy. With trouble. It's not, how we, it's not how we start, but it's how we finish this race. And if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at King Saul, his final aha moment where he's not listening to the Lord and he goes and seeks a witch who's going to conjure up a demon to tell him the future. And God allows Samuel to come up and he warns him, tells him the same thing. God has, has removed you from the kingdom. He hasn't established your kingdom and he's given it to someone else. He names David. And then he says, and tomorrow at this time, you're going to die. We're within 24 hours of that, reading that story. 24 hours. What would you do? Saul has the privilege of knowing in 24 hours, he's going to die. What do you do with 24 hours? It might look a little different if you had that privilege. Not everyone has that privilege to know what they're going to do. 
or when the end of their life is going to be, what would you do, right? Instead of just business as usual, I think you're going to make some adjustments. I've got 24 hours. I want to get things right with this person, that person. Number one, I would think you want to get right with the Lord. It doesn't change Saul. It does not change his course. Even though he knows he's got 24 hours to live. And so simultaneously, we're, we're, we're going to jump into verse 1 here. As Saul, or as David is fighting the Amalekites, this battle is ensuing. And it says this in verse 1. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and they fell slain in Mount Gilboa. This is why, this is the same exact thing that happened 20 years earlier. The men of Israel had fled, and they lost a battle against the Philistines, and they went to, Saul, went to Samuel and said, we need a king. We need a king. When they, when they should have said, we need to change, we need to repent, they said, we need a different king. The trouble is our king. God's not good enough. We need a human king like all the rest of the nations. And right here, we're at ground zero again. Now they're fleeing again. They're running from the Philistines, fleeing from battle. It says the men of Israel fled. That's so unfortunate today in the church. Men aren't being men. Men aren't stepping up to the plate being men. They're fleeing the battle. They're fleeing. They're calling. They're fleeing. They're leading their home. The word of leading their family in the word of God, holding the word of God out. Men are fleeing. And you know what's happening? Ladies are having to step up to the plate to do the work of men. Teaching their children. Raising their family. And men aren't leading. They're not walking in what God's called them to walk in. They're not strong enough to stand. They don't have a heart to stand. Preoccupied. And these men flee when the enemy pursues. And verse 2 says, And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Saul, his sin, he sees his children die before he dies. Saul's going to die today. But before he dies, he sees his sons die. What a shame. That he, his sin that he didn't think would impact other people, that he thought probably in his mind, justified, said, I'm doing the right thing, doing what I want. This seems best to me. And at the end of his life, he's watching, the archers are shooting, the battle's ensuing, and his sons die right before him. And he's got to watch it. He sees it. Such a sad condition not understanding the impact of your decisions and your choices, how it reflects on other people, how it impacts other people, your family, people around you. 
And his sons die and he watches them. And then the, the archers hit Saul. Those were the snipers of the day. Those were the guys that could hit you from long range. Right? From a distance. And, you know, the Bible, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, he, he tells all the armor that we need to put on because we're in a spiritual battle every day. We have an adversary, the devil, and we're in a spiritual battle. And he says this, as he's naming all the armor, he says, above all, take the shield of faith that you might be able to quench the fiery darts. Those are arrows of the wicked one because the enemy is firing darts at you and at me daily. These arrows from long distance, man, you're sitting at home in your kitchen, nobody's home, and all of a sudden this fiery dart hits your mind. What are the, the, the darts aren't meant to hit your arm or your knee. They can. They're meant to hit your heart and your mind. They're meant to change you. They're meant to affect your direction. So the devil will shoot at you, and he hits Saul, and he'll hit you. The devil, the Bible tells us, is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a divider. He's a deceiver. And Saul's hit by these archers, and he's severely wounded. So wounded, verse 4 says, he tells his armor bearer, which would have been David. Years earlier, it was David. Tells his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. And that was, that was normally done. If they would find somebody alive on the battlefield, especially a king, they would definitely torture him. So he says, thrust me through. I don't want to suffer anymore. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when the armor bearer saw, it, saw that Saul was dead, he fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Saul, at the end of his life, is still barking orders and still taking matters into his own hand. Kill me. He's telling his armor bearer, kill me. He's still in charge of his life. He will not relent. He will not give up. Right to the very end, to the bitter end, he's still giving orders and has to have the last say. I'm going to die right now. It has to be right this second. Kill me. Sad life. Something we see here that's one of the fiery darts of the enemy, I think. One of the lies. He wants to strip hope from people. Something probably a lot of people here have thought to, to, to maybe a small degree or maybe a bigger degree. Maybe you'd be surprised who's thought this, but, but Saul here is, is thinking suicide and he commits suicide. It's one of the only... Four or five times we see suicide in the Bible, and it's never good. It's never God's will. It's never his design. Two of the most famous ones, probably 
here is, is Saul and Judas, right? People who disobeyed God's word, rejected God's word. And, and they reject, when you do that, you reject the hope that God gives you. And that's what happens in life when you've, that fiery dart hits you. All hope is gone for the future. There's no chance. People think there's no chance. There's no help. There's no, what, who's here to help me? God's not helping me. People aren't here to help me. And when people lose hope, that's something they think of. Suicide, it's a scary thing, and it's a real thing. It's on the rise. People have thought it. Maybe a lot of people here have thought about it. Maybe to a small degree. But you lose hope. You think, who's on my side? Who wants to listen? And that's a lie to think that no one wants to hear you. Or no one wants to help you. That's a lie. That's, the, that's a fiery dart too. Because number one, God wants to help and there's people who care. They just don't know you're struggling. To other people around you, you may look fine. You may seem fine. You may seem like things are going, going fine because you're trying to pretend like you're okay, but you're struggling. And you need to talk to someone. It's a scary thing. And people do it. And they've tried it. Some people survive it and they're thankful. I'm glad that didn't work. It's a lie of the enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, steal God's word, his truth, kill, and destroy your life. Destroy your family. And Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. That's where life is found, in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not just showing you the way, and I'm not just going to tell you about the truth. I'm going to tell you about the life. I am the life. It's in me. John would say in his epistle that he who has the Son has life. Jesus came to give life. He has life. His word is truth. But the devil is there to lie. Say your only hope is death. What's the use? And Saul here is thinking that this isn't the end of the story. We're going to keep reading beyond this for just a second. I want to read 2 Samuel to finalize this. But it says in verse 7, When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan River saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and they fled. And the Philistines came and they dwelt in them. Man, they gave up territory. That's what the devil wants to do is take territory in your life, in your mind, in your heart. And it says, It happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons had fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. 
And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose. You remember Saul protected Jabesh-Gilead. That was his first valiant move. He went there. They wanted to, uh, the Amorites wanted to make them slaves and servants and pluck out the right eyes. And Saul protected them. And now their men remember that. They remember what Saul had done. They heard what the Philistines had done to Saul and the valiant men arose and they traveled all night and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan and they came to Jabesh and they burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted seven days. Saul became a trophy of the enemy. If you turn with me to 2 Samuel, just read this really quick. And listen, I want the men of Jabesh Gilead, you never know how your life is impacting someone. Saul impacted their life in such a great way, they never forgot what he had done for them. And they went and risked their lives and grabbed this guy and his sons, his body, and gave him more of a respectful burial. You never know what, what your little works do, what the things you do, the kindness you have for people, the things you think don't mean a lot to you, maybe, the time you give someone to talk to them, or what you do for them, what it means to them, or how much it matters to them. But it says this, here's the end of the story, I believe. It says it came to pass in, in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 1 that after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, so this thing was happen, happening simultaneously, that David stayed two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? And he, says, I, he said, I have escaped the camp of Israel. And David said to him, and <laughs> how did the matter go? So this Amalekite fled. He's one of those 400 that fled on camels, if you remember. And David said, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he, he answered, the people had fled from the battle, and many of the people are falling dead, and Saul and Jonathan. So he sees the battle. He's there when Saul and Jonathan his son are dead. He says, There's, uh, Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. And David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? It, it, it's grieving to David. How do you know that? And the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on the Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm, I'm an Amalekite. Remember, Saul was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. Shouldn't be any left. And it was a picture of our flesh. It was a picture of sin. How left unchecked and undealt with, it will come back to haunt you. 
And it doesn't mean you good, it means you harm. Sin, rebellion, disobedience, right? And it just by chance, Saul is leaning on his sword. He says it's his spear. Just by chance, this, this, these people that he was supposed to wipe out, Saul was, not only attacked David, but this guy did Saul in. He says, I'm an Amalekite. That's what happens when we leave sin in our life. We think, ah, oh, it's fine. It's the best. A, I kept, you know, he told Samuel, I kept Agag, the king, and you know, I kept the best of the sheep and the oxen and a few of the people, whatever. You know, it's, these are harmless people. These are harmless things. And that's what sin is. You think it's harmless. It's not going to affect you. It's so small. And it comes back. And it's what takes Saul out. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life remains in me. I'm tortured. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young men who, who told him, where are you from? And he answered, remember I said, I'm the son of an alien. I'm an Amalekite. And David said, how were you not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your own head. For as your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with lamentations over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. And, then, and, and David writes this song because he loves these guys so much. What marked Saul's life was rebellion and disobedience, excuses, blaming others. And I think for you and I, the lesson, one of the lessons we can learn, and I think it marks a lot of people, Christians, partial obedience. We take parts of God's word and say, yeah, I'm not going to kill anyone today, but yeah, I might lie a little bit today. What's, what's the harm in that? It's for a good reason. I'm not going to commit adultery today. I might take that, but they've got so much. And we can be, begin to be selective in what you want to obey in the Bible. You guys maybe don't, but some people do that. Saul did that. It marked his life. He had excuses why he did things, why he lived the way he did and acted the way he acted. And partial obedience is going to lead to greater things than that Amalekite who, who uh, Saul should have killed 15 years earlier, grew up, 
and killed him. And that's what sin does. It grows. And it comes after you. And that marked his life. It took time for that Amalekite to grow. It said one of the young, these young men, he might have been a baby when Saul went through the camp. These young men fled on a camel. And this is one of those guys. And it can mark your life and mark my life. Sin, rebellion, disobedience. It's a challenge to us. Are we going to obey? Because we have choice. Are we going to finish well? Because you've got to make good choices if you're going to finish well. Paul finished well. In that same chapter, chapter 4 of Timothy, he talks about a guy named Demas who has forsaken him. Earlier in Philemon, he says, you know what? Demas is my fellow co-laborer. He's a servant right alongside me. Man, we're going shoulder to shoulder together in ministry in the battle. And then later he say, he just names Demas. Yeah, Demas, you know, greet him. He's a cool guy. He served with me, whatever. And then at the end of Paul's life, he says, hey, Demas forsook me. Why? He loved this world. This world meant more to him than anything else, more than Jesus. And it caused him to, to stop his race, to cut his race short, to get out of the battle, to get out of the race. You don't want to do that. You want to keep running. The finish line, you may not see it, but it might be right around the corner. We went down the river yesterday on, on kayaks. Really fun if we do it again. You should try it if you can. There was a spot, it looked like a... Like the river stopped, like that was the end. But two more little turns and we were at the end. We were almost there. We're right close to the end, right? And sometimes you, you walk this life, you think, how can I keep going anymore? But we were right there, right at the end. The Lord wants you to keep going and learn a lesson. The things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Right? Because we make mistakes. David is going to make tons of mistakes. We're going to go, we're going to, uh, in September, we're going to go through 2 Samuel uh, with the men. We're going to see tons of mistakes David makes. But he prays, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. He owns the mistakes he made, makes. Not Saul. Saul deflects him. Blames others. The people made me do it. You weren't here on time, Samuel. What were you waiting for? Never owned it. Never owned it in a real way. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth in 1 Samuel, God, that, that we can learn so much. Lord, we can put ourselves in the shoes of all these men that we see here. And learn so much from God. We pray. I pray, Lord, that, that we would run our race to finish, to win. The Bible says we should run to win. And if we've stepped out of the race or stepped aside or if we're taking a water break, I pray we jump back in to this race, to this battle. Lord, challenge us. Empower us. Equip us to run, Lord. We need encouragement. We need each other. 
We need help. Thankful for that, Lord. We just give you our lives. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name.